We're in this season of epiphany in the church calendar, and epiphany is this idea where we get this concept of aha, I had an epiphany. You know, something, a revelation came to me. The actual day of epiphany is 12 days after Christmas. So it would have been last Monday on January the 6th. It's actually the day of epiphany. And so we're kind of in this season that follows up Christmas and the Christmas season. And it really celebrates the coming of the wise men where these stargazers were uh, spent their life looking into the stars and trying to, to make meaning of the world through the stars. And they, and they found this one star that they began to follow. They had no idea what was going to be at the end of it. But as they searched and as they followed this star, they came to, to find the Christ child. I believe that there is something in all of humankind, there's something built in us that is searching. We're seeking for God. Now, a lot of people don't know they're seeking for God. They try all different kind of pathways in their life. But I think at the core, they're seeking for God. They're looking for that part of them. And I believe that if we linger long enough, the idea of epiphany is this, and the Christmas season is to, to linger. If we, we had Christmas and we understood what was done for us, and now it's an opportunity to linger in that season so that we can position ourselves to have these ahas. And so today we want to talk about our time. What are we doing with our time? Are we, are we spending it in a way that positions us to have epiphanies? Are we, are we seeking in the right place? Are we looking in the right places uh, as we go into this new year? Now, when we think about the 12 days of Christmas, those are actually the season of Christmas. It's actually Christmas and then the 12 days afterwards. Most of us, when we think of the 12 days of Christmas, we think about the song, don't we? The partridge in the pear tree and Lord's a-leaping and stuff. Isn't that what most of, comes to most of our minds? Well, actually, many people think that that song actually was written with kind of an undertone of the Christian faith. Uh, the belief is, is that my true love refers to God. Uh, partridge in a pear tree refers to Jesus that's given to us. The two turtle doves is the Old and New Testament. Three French hens are the three Christian virtues of faith, hope, and love. Four calling birds are the four gospels. Uh, five gold rings is the five books of the Pentateuch. Six geese of laying are the six great days of creation. Seven swans of swimming are the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, mentioned in Romans and Corinthians. Eight maids of milking are the eight beatitudes. Nine ladies dancing, nine fruit of the Holy Spirit. Ten lords of leaping are the ten commandments. Eleven pipers piping are the eleven faithful disciples. Twelve drummers drumming are the twelve points of the Apostles' Creed. I don't know if you've ever heard that or not. I thought it was fascinating. This has absolutely nothing to do with our message today. Um, don't worry, we don't have 12 points, okay? I just thought it was kind of a fun fact to know and tell. But, um, but it is reminding us of this season, this, that the, there's a season of Christmas, uh, kind of this epiphany, this kind of season, this idea of, of lingering. It's also a time in our life where we think about New Year's resolutions, we think about going into a new year, and, and whether you do that consciously or aren't even really fully aware that you're doing it. Most of us are thinking about something new that we would like to do or think about or would like to be part of in, in the new year. And we all know that if we've stepped into a new year and these, had these resolutions and they were based just on our sheer willpower, that generally by February we can't even remember what they were. Um, that's why uh, the gyms around town are all full uh, for the month of January. If you're in the business of selling gym memberships, you're doing great this month. Um, 
people show up, but then they'll kind of start, um, you know, sloughing off here as February comes and March comes along. So does that mean that we don't even think about new things, that we don't plan and purpose our life towards new things? I don't think so. I think it's, I, I think there's something powerful in the searching. I think there's something about the seeking that we have to put some effort in this. But the key is, is our effort inspired by the Holy Spirit? Is it directed by God? Are we listening to what he wants us to do and he wants us to be about and what he wants us to be about uh, for the new year? We often talk about spiritual disciplines, the importance of doing these things consistently over and over and over again, that there's something that happens in us, our services. There are certain things that we do every time we gather. Now, we sing different songs. We have different the theme of the message. We do different elements. But there are things that you will see that we do every single time. Because these disciplines, we believe, do something. There, a few minutes ago, we stood up and sang. Now, some of you love this. Some of you, this is the most important thing that we do because you're singers and worshipers. And some of you, that's not necessarily your thing. But everybody stood up. Most of your mouths were moving. Um, We believe there's something about lifting our voices and singing that something is formed in us, that something happens in our life. We said the Apostles' Creed just a minute ago. Again, we do that every single time we gather because we believe that when we speak those words that... Our faith is strengthened, that my belief and what I value, that when I say that and confess that to God, when I confess it um, before uh, my family here, that something, something happens in us. In a few minutes, we're going to come to the table, and as we prepare for the table, we're going to say the Lord's Prayer together. We believe that prayer is a discipline. It kind of bends our life towards God that without realizing that we've got all kinds of directions that we're taking, but when we stop and pray, we resubmit our will towards him, that we invite his will to come in and to take over, and we orient ourselves towards those things. We, we actually will take these elements in in a few minutes. We believe that we're actually taking in God, that there's something about, uh, something wonderful, and, and yes, it's mysterious on exactly what it means, but it's a very powerful thing that happens, maybe the most important thing that we do. And so it's these things that we do, and Scripture instructs us to do these things. It doesn't say we'll just talk about these or just read about them periodically. It says do them. Jesus did many of these things. Have you ever wondered why Jesus was baptized? I mean, what was up with that? I mean, why does God need to be baptized? I mean, it doesn't exactly make sense, but he did it. In in Matthew 3, It says, then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly... The heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This idea of suddenly the heavens were opened, I believe that's that's an epiphany. Something had happened suddenly at that moment. When we see God, when we put ourselves oriented towards him, we're in a position for these suddenlies to happen, for us to have um, these ahas. But I don't believe it's just true in our services. I believe that we have this opportunity as we step into a new year to have these personal rhythms 
that are so important in our life, these personal disciplines to step into some new things, to some fresh things. What might that look like? What might our time of prayer look like in the new year, our time of of reading the scripture, our time of community, community? Maybe we're recommitting to show up and be connected with community. Maybe it's a small group we want to be involved in this year. I think there's some very special things that we can do so that he might reveal himself to us. And it's also not just those, quote, spiritual things. You know, we have this kind of spiritual and sacred separation, um, a spiritual and secular kind of separation that we tend to do on a human level. God doesn't separate those things. So is it, what is it we're doing with our life, with our time? Because whatever it is that we spend our time on, we are being formed by. We are becoming like that. And so if we spend our time on things that are inspired by God and enriched and nourished by Him, then we become more like Him. We look more like Him. If we spend our time focused on other things that are not really inspired by him, then we become more like those things. Uh, Worship, the definition of worship is honor shown to an object. So the question would be this year is, to whom and what are we worshiping? Let's take a look at Ephesians 5, starting with verse 1. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any other kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. On to verse 15. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. This is a challenging section, isn't it? I think it's a challenge for us as we go into the new year. Paul talks about being imitators of God. That would have been very familiar to the Greeks at that time. The Greeks had orators that would give up, get up and give these great speeches. And if you were a young man and you wanted to become one of these orators, the way that you were trained was you sat and you listened hour after hour in what these great men would say, and then you would go and imitate that. So you could become an order as well. We're made in the image of God. That's how he created us. So he's calling us to come and to sit in his presence and to watch how he works, to watch what he does, that we can imitate his life and we can become more like him. There's three things in here that we're being told that we should, Im- we should imitate. First, we're to imitate the love of God and his sacrifice. We do this by loving one another with sacrificial love and by forgiving one another. The second thing is that we are to follow his lifestyle. Now, we talk a lot about grace and mercy here and how it's something that we can't earn, that it's something that is given to us as a gift. But it's so important that we don't take that grace lightly. 
I believe that God has a recognition of a certain pathway that is best for us. He has a certain design. I have made you to live this way, and if you follow this path, it will be best. You will have fullness of life. Uh, You'll find a place of peace and joy in life. If you go off track and do these things, it'll kill, steal, and destroy. So we don't believe that he sets up these expectations to be beyond anything that we could ever attain that are impossible just to frustrate us. And he also isn't trying to steal our fun, but he knows what is best for us. And so he has laid out uh, a pathway. He says, do these things. Um, don't, don't do these things. God knows that there's an enemy that can pull us off course and that can steal, kill, and destroy our life. And so this kind of morality that Paul was talking about was almost unheard of. It just seemed almost wildly impossible at the time. And I would suggest if you look around our culture, we're kind of the same, that, that uh, we don't tend to live this way. But he is saying that this is what I want you to imitate. This is the lifestyle that I, that I want you to live. Um, anytime that we think that we've got it pretty well together, I'm a good guy. I, I'm, I'm better than most. I do good things. I don't hurt anybody. Um, anytime we feel kind of secure in that, we're in trouble. Um, we're going to probably slip off course. We all have those things. We all have those weaknesses in our life. We have those passions that can easily be squirrel. You know, that can easily cause us to go sideways and to pull us off track. And he is saying, be careful. Stay on target. Stay on task. And then finally, what we're going to focus on today is imitating Christ as he walked this earth and how he used his short three years on this earth. How did he use his time? I believe he lived every moment to the fullest. Verse 15 again says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Making the most of every opportunity here means to redeem the time, to get the maximum value out of every moment. When I hear this being me, I'm like, yes, I need to work harder and I need to do more. But you know what? I don't think that's what that's saying. I think what it's saying is it's about doing what is a priority, doing what is important in the sight of God. It's so easy to be taken over by the urgent things in front of us, isn't it? We talk about the tyranny of the urgent. It's so easy to do those things that seem to be done right now, and we tend to neglect some of those things that may be our better priority, maybe the thing that God has called us to do. So as we move into the new year, we want to encourage you to take a look at your habits. What habits do you have that are taking up time in your life? You've heard Brent and I say a lot, healthy lives come from good, healthy habits. What are some of the habits that you have? And what am I doing with my time? How am I using this precious time that God has given me? Based on my past experience, my current circumstances and responsibilities, my future hopes and dreams, what's the wisest thing for me to be doing right now? Now, again, that doesn't mean, oh, my gosh, you should be doing more. It means, God, what would you have me do with this gift of time that you have given me? What do I do with the preciousness of this life that you have given me? Dorothy Bass says this, making good use of the time we're given is important to be sure. Date books and other aids help us do this. 
But when our emphasis on using time displaces our awareness of time as a gift, we find that we're not so much using time as permitting time to use us. We're going to look at a few critical elements of time today. And as we go into the new year, we're saying, God, how do you want me to use this gift of time that you've given me? The first thing we're going to talk about is there's a cumulative value to investing small amounts of time in certain activities over a long period. Most of us want all of it now. Uh, we want what I call the home run ball. I talked about this with the guys yesterday morning at our breakfast time together. You know, it's so easy. I mean, I know it's a baseball analogy, sorry, but we want the, you know, it's kind of like sports center. It just shows all the fabulous plays. It shows the home runs. It shows the long touchdown passes. Um, we, they, well, it's not all that sexy to think about the singles of life, those small little steps that it takes. But in most of the important parts of our life, it's the little steps, it's the little disciplines that make the difference o- over time. If you look at anything, your own spiritual disciplines, if you look at exercising or how you eat or your marriage or your family life, it's all about little decisions uh, that you make over time. There's a cumulative value in doing simple little things. If I tell Janice one time this year that I love her and care about her and do one nice thing for her, we might not make anniversary number 36. Um, it's only the consistency that happens over time that makes a difference. I have the pleasure of doing a certain amount of premarital counseling, and premarital couples are fascinating to me uh, because it's like all, it's almost impossible for them to offend each other. They have done so many nice little things for each other because they have this, you know, they're intoxicated, right? They're emotionally on a high. And, uh, and it's just, they just fallen all over themselves doing nice, caring, loving things for each other. And that provides so much strength that even if one of them does something that's really hurtful or that is jerk-like, um, the other one's like, oh, they didn't mean it. Oh, isn't that cute? Bless their heart. Um, but it's, it, but it's those little things that, that really have made the difference. And, and if you look at exercising, if you do, if you exercise one time or just one week, all you did is make yourself sore. Um, it does really nothing for you um, in the long term. Uh, practicing an instrument or a, a new skill of some type, if you do it just like one time, in junior high school, I took guitar lessons for a month. <laughs> It has now helped me play a C chord. I get a little confused on D and E. Um, That's it because I didn't keep it up. It wasn't a consistent thing that happens. It's the small little steps that we take that make a difference over time. Going to church one time doesn't make a difference. In fact, I can see why people go to church one time, they don't come back because it's awkward. You don't know anybody. You don't know what's going on. It's an awkward thing. I went to a, speaking of exercise, I went to a pure um, bar class one day. It's one of those that you uh, do exercise at the ballet bar. I did it once, and um, it was awkward, and I couldn't walk for four days. Um, so <laughs> it's the cumulative value of the things that we do that make a difference. So in, in terms of going to church, it's a cumulative value of being a part of a body, 
week in and week out, of building relationships, of finding a place to serve and jumping in and doing that, of hearing the word week in and week out. It's the consistency and the accumulation that makes a difference. So if you're involved for weeks or months, you begin to see that your life has changed, that something different happens. The same thing is true when you read your Bible or you spend more time in prayer. There's a cumulative effect that changes you and molds you. When our son Spencer was young, um, he decided he wanted to start playing guitar, and so he played guitar every day for hours, every day. Every single day. <laughs> and there would be times when we'd go, sweetheart, I'm so proud of you for playing so much. Um, think you're done for today? Because I'd kind of like to go to sleep. But because he did that day in and day out for years, he developed his skill to a point where now he's playing on some CDs, he's working in a recording studio. He got to where he wanted to go because the cumulative value of him practicing day after day made a difference in his life. And it got him to where he wanted to go. Number two, neglect has a cumulative effect as well. Um, in our uh, marriage work over the last 30 years, uh, most couples that get in trouble, that struggle, it's not because there's just been one negative thing that's happened. Uh, it's been neglect. They have gotten distracted. They've refocused their life. They've gone from that premarital courtship, you know, can't, can't think of anything other than this person, to distracted now. And they spend all their time and energy on other things. And little by little by little over time, that neglect begins to, to build. It begins to tear down. It begins to disconnect their life. And so neglecting any of the important parts of my life are going to show up in negative effects over time. Number three, there are rarely any immediate consequences for neglecting any one installment of a positive habit in an area of my life. So missing one workout or eating poorly one time or saying, you know what, we don't really have time for date night this week, so we're not going to do that. Or I don't have time to spend time with the kids this week, so it's really okay. We don't feel the negative impact of that immediately. Sometimes I wish if we could start to go the wrong direction that an alarm would go off and it would be like, you're neglecting your family. But it doesn't happen that way. It's kind of interesting because I had a little virus uh, last week. And any time I ate anything bad, you know that Christmas candy that's still downstairs that calls my name from time to time? Any time I would eat anything bad, I got sick as a dog. And I thought, there could be some real benefit to this, you know? <laughs> I, could, I could really use that. But, but it's so deceiving because so oftentimes we just don't see that negative impact immediately. And so we justify and go, oh, it's okay if we miss that this week. And then it's, oh, another week's gone by and we're really busy. It's okay if I don't do that right now. And then all of a sudden we have the cumulative negative effect and we go, oh, my gosh, how did I get there? We don't see the little things that we've compromised on and compromised on. Number four. There's no cumulative value for the urgent things we allow to interfere with what is most important in life. So if you look, again, you think about exercise, maybe a, a commitment that you made at the beginning of last year, and boy, you were on it for a few weeks, and then all of a sudden it started dropping off. If you look back and look at what actually uh, you did with that time, 
probably ended up getting into a habit. We just kind of stayed up too late and watched a little too, you know, extra um, television, or we spent that third hour on Facebook, um, you know, for the day or, or whatever it is. When you look back on what it is that interfered with those things, the cumulative value of that is usually zero. But what if this year we decided to take a look at some small things that we could change in our life? What could the cumulative value of that be? What if we decided we're going to start having dinner with our family three nights a week? How could that change things? What if we decide we're going to spend 15 minutes a day with the Lord or an additional 15 minutes than what we normally do with the Lord? What might the cumulative effect of that be over a year? One of the reasons why I love the reading through a Bible, reading through the Bible in a year Um, and I also like some of the Beth Moore studies, is because I can see the cumulative effect of what I'm doing. I can go, oh my gosh, I've gotten this far in the Bible. But it's not from a, because I'm a good person, I have read this much in my Bible. But it helps keep me accountable so that I can stay consistent in the word day in and day out because I know where I'm at. And so it, it causes me to have that consistency. Again, not so I can say I'm a good Christian and I have a Christian merit badge, but because when I am staying in the presence of God, I am more likely to hear him. I am more likely to have my life changed and transformed. I'm more likely to have epiphanies because I'm consistent in my time with him. What's the cumulative value of doing some of these things? Now, these don't have to only be productive habits. Sometimes we need to have positive, relaxing habits. Brent and I both have the tendency to kind of be worker bees. I didn't used to when we first got married, but over these years, he's influenced me. Uh, Poisoned her. Repent now. Um, (laughs) Never mind. Anyway. So we tend to wake up in the morning, and it's like, okay, what do we have to get done today? We need to do this, we need to do this, and we tend to. Our natural tendency is to wake up early and get going on things. So a couple years ago, we read a book um, called The Good and Beautiful God by James Bryant Smith, and his first spiritual discipline in the book is to take one day a week and sleep as late as you can. Now, for some of you, that is not a spiritual discipline. Um, That is a way of life. And... God may be calling you to be more consistent about getting up earlier or doing things. For us, we had to discipline ourselves to do that. We would wake up and it would be like, oh yeah, this is the day we're supposed to sleep later, so I guess we can go to sleep. It was really good for us. It really broke some of the drivenness that we tend to have. It was a positive thing for us. Now, that's one area of a discipline. Don't even ask me about fasting. I don't even, you know, we're not going to talk about that. But, but when we talk about disciplines like this, I always think about how good God is that he knows each one of us, and he knows specifically what we need, and he calls us to do what's right for us. He doesn't view us as cookie-cutter people, but he knows who we are, and he knows what would form our character in the best way for us. And I think about when, when I had kids at home in high school, and my kids are all pretty driven, and um, they're all pretty goal-oriented, but in high school, some of them had different views of their high school grades. So some of mine were 98. Where were those two points? This is terrible. There were five extra credit points, too. 
I should have had 105, not a 98. And they would stress out and would be like, oh my gosh, I gotta study more because of this. Well, I had other ones that were more like, hey, I passed. It's high school. You know, what's a big deal? It's not that big a deal. So I clearly remember one night walking into one bedroom and saying, honey, you have got to stop studying. Put your books down. Grades are not that important. Come watch a TV show with me or go to bed and get some sleep. But stop working so hard. Even if you don't get an A, it's okay. And then walking down the hall to another bedroom (laughs) and saying, what are you doing? Why aren't you studying? Grades are important. This makes a difference in your life. You know, fortunately, God is so good. He deals with us individually. He knows our bend. And he knows what's good for us and what's right for us. When we deal with folks that are going through depression, which we're all prone to experience at some points in our life because it's kind of part of loss and grief, and we all go through that at some point. Um, But what we oftentimes find is that initially their experience is because of an event or a significant circumstance that's happened. But what they have done without realizing it, as we look back, is that they have begun to give up little things in their life that brought them joy, the little habits in their life that they just normally would do because they're discouraged because of a situation that's gone on, they stop doing those things. It might be as simple as they used to get up early before the rest of the family got up and they just grab a cup of coffee and read the paper in their favorite chair. It just was a really enjoyable time for them. Well, they used to have a favorite author that they would read, and they'd just get lost, up in, the story, lost in the stories, and, and it was very relaxing for them. And, and they begin to give up those things little by little. And so one of the things we simply do with them is have them begin to look back on their life. We have them do what we call a a pleasant events inventory. I have them think back, think back to high school or last week or any time in between and look at the things that you used to do. You used to have a buddy that played racquetball with every Thursday and, well, he moved out and I just don't do that anymore. Look at those things that you enjoy and little by little they start putting those things back into their life and they begin to build a life that positively reinforces itself. So they're not dependent on people to change or their circumstances to change for life to start tasting good again and feeling good and enjoying life again to where they look forward to tomorrow. And so sometimes what we're needing to do is to begin to look at those simple little parts of life that we have kind of neglected or let go of to begin to build new life for the future. Have you ever been part of a small group that you grew close to and then you quit meeting and you realized, I really miss that. I've kind of lost connection. I liked having that connection with those people. You know, when we meet with somebody every other week or when we go on a missions trip with them and we have that quality time together, we build a depth of relationship that you don't get when you just speak grace and peace over somebody or when you just pass them in the hall. There's something special that happens when we have the consistency of meeting with each other time after time after time. When we did Turkey Blitz this year, it was so interesting because um, Michelle Cole organizes it for us, and she had been a part of a Lent group last year, and this Lent group enjoyed each other so much that they kept staying in contact with each other and meeting after Lent. So they got super close to each other. So when we called her and we said, Michelle, we'd like you to organize Turkey Blitz, she was like, hey, I've got my people. 
we've got this together. And they function beautifully as a team. I don't know if you guys noticed, but Turkey Blitz was the most organized that it's ever been. They function beautifully as a team because they have that relationship with each other. And when we look back and we think, okay, I quit going to that small group or I didn't go at that particular time, why? Was it because I didn't want to miss that TV show? Or, you know, I'm really tired and so I didn't want to go because I'm just so tired. Now, it could be it was the best thing for you to not go. It could be that's exactly what God had for you. Because if you haven't spent time with your kids and you know you need to be with them, then sometimes sitting on the couch for two hours watching a movie with your kids is the highest priority that you have. Or it could be you have worked so many hours because it's tax season that you need to stay home and get some sleep so you won't get sick. Sometimes that is the highest priority. But we have to seek God and go, God, what would you have for my life right now? Seek God. The scripture in verse 10 says, find out what pleases the Lord. Seek him for what's important right now. Is it relaxing at home or is it going to a small group that I need to be involved with or participating in something else? Everybody's going to be different and we're going to be different at different seasons of our lives. I would just encourage you, if it's your natural default to go home and hibernate by yourself, God may be pushing you out a little bit more. If it's your natural default to be busy all the time and hardly ever be home, then he may be leading you to be home a little bit more. Seek him for what he wants for your life and what's best for your life in the new year. The final one. Now, this, this one can sound a little, a little strong, but keep listening. In the critical arenas of life, you cannot make up for lost time. Now, we all know the experience in high school or college where we procrastinated over and over again and we crammed the night before and we pulled it out. But in the most important arenas of life, in our, in our experience with, with God, in our marriages, in our family time and physical life, we, we don't make up for that. Have you ever not been working out for a while and then you went to try to make it up and you just killed yourself and you're, you're going to injure yourself and then you're going to damage yourself and not be able to do it any longer? Have you, if you've been neglecting kind of breaking bread time with your family where you just sat around the table and enjoy life and life is just scattered now where kids are going this direction, we just miss each other. You're not going to make up for that. If that has happened for months and years, we're not going to leave the service today here and go over to Red Robin and, and get a full meal and then jump over to Johnny Carino's and have another meal and then come back over here to Los Cobos and then jump over to Waterfront. Um, it's not going to happen. You're just going to make yourself sick and your kids irritated. And so these important things, if we've been neglecting our marriage, just one weekend or one date experience isn't going to pull it out. And so we have to recognize that, that we just can't let things go and expect different results. But remember, this is a new start. I don't know if you guys are familiar with a lady that does home organization stuff called the Fly Lady, but her motto is, you're not behind you're just getting started. So whatever you're thinking about right now, you're not behind. You're just getting started. Paul says, not that I've already arrived or already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that. You know, he also says, forgetting what is behind. We can go into the new year with no guilt and no condemnation. 
God may be convicting you in a certain area to do something, but we don't have to take that on as guilt and condemnation. In fact, God has this incredible way when we start focusing towards him and go, you know what, I probably did this wrong in the past, but I am turning my life over to you, and I really want to work on this in the future. He has this incredible way of redeeming our time of pulling things together, of making things work together for our good. So what does he have for you this year? You know, we're a people of hope. That's what I love about being Christian people. We are a people of hope. And God has a good and healthy new year for you. And so I'm encouraging you to position yourself and say, God, what habits do you have for me this year? What do you want to form in me this year? Jesus, how do I follow you into this new year to do and become all that you want. To do this, we have to start with the right effort, the effort that's guided and inspired by him. Now, this, again, is not earning, but it does take effort. I love how Dallas Willard says it. He says, we must act. Grace is opposed to earning, not to effort. And it is well-directed, decisive, and sustained effort that is the key to the keys of the kingdom and to the life of restful power in ministry and life that those keys open to us. So as we step into this new year, we're just going to take a moment just to listen and try to, to hear him more clearly on what he would be saying to us. Now, the counselor is coming out in us, and when it comes to this time uh, of a message, we think action steps. And so probably you found in your seat a little card And so I'm going to encourage you to pull that out if you threw it away or stuck it under some place. Pull it out if you would. And what we've done is we've just kind of laid out what we think describes kind of the important arenas of life. Now, I know I talked about there's not a a separation in God's heart between spiritual or sacred things and secular, and we absolutely believe that. So I know even coming up with a chart like this, it looks like it kind of separates those. We do believe that our spiritual life, those spiritual disciplines and our heart for God kind of impact. I put it at the center because I do believe it permeates and impacts everything else. Most of us, if we were to kind of chart our life, would probably find some imbalance that our, that our circle's a little bit lopsided. And what we're going to encourage you to do right now, we're going to take just a few seconds, and we're just going to get quiet and stop and pray. And I'm going to encourage you to listen. And the first thing that comes to your mind that may be related to any of these issues, just one, just one thing, just, just write it down in whatever section um, you might find it. I'm going to ask you to take this with you then this week. And for the next week, just put it by your bed, bed, on your bedstand. But uh, pray over this this week. Ask God for some ahas, for some, what are some of the disciplines that, what are some of the goals? Now, again, think, think singles, not home runs. So if you want to write a book this year, don't put down, write a book. Put, spend two hours each week just putting my thoughts together and coming up with the outline. Uh, Dr. Burkus was with us guys yesterday morning, and uh, you may have seen him on the video last week when he was interviewed by CBS and has this new book out. And the thing that was significant, he had said that he had been wanting to write a book since he was 14. But the way this came about was that he spent, the thing that, that caught my ear was that he spent three and a half years 
writing a blog. That's what he felt like he was supposed to do, is he wrote a blog consistently for three and a half years. And a publisher on the East Coast um, discovered his blog, called him and said, have you ever thought of writing a book? And of course, he's been thinking about it since he was 14. Um, But it was out of that rhythm, out of that weekly, daily habit that aha happened and something came together. So think about what's the first step, not, not what's the end game. What's the first step that God might want me to take? And write that down. Then I'm going to encourage you just to carry, this is just an act of your faith. As we come to communion in just a moment, just carry this with you and ask God to step in to to your life and to the arenas of your life. Give guidance and strength as you walk this out. Let's just take a moment and quiet ourselves for a second. Lord, we trust you. You have the best for us. You have the best life for us. You have a plan. You have in your mind the things that it's going to take us on a daily and weekly basis, these rhythms of our life that will put us in a position to hear more clearly, to have these ahas, to experience you in a greater way. So right now, we just ask that you would speak to us and that we would, whatever it is that comes to our mind, that we just, we're going to hold on to that. We're going to bring it. We're going to ask you to step into that, to inspire it, to guide and direct it, to add other elements to this. We trust you for this new year, Lord, as we start orienting ourselves towards you in this way. We trust you for the cumulative value, the benefit that will happen throughout this year in our life and then through our life for your kingdom. Guide our steps, God. Thanks for listening to this message from Sanctuary Church. If you're in the Tulsa area, we invite you to attend one of our weekend services at 5 p.m. on Saturday, 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. on Sundays. And if you would like more information on who we are and what we're about here at Sanctuary or to give online, please visit our website at SanctuaryTulsa.com or you can download our mobile app from the App Store or Google Play. We hope you'll join us again next time. Have a great week.